But Father God, we, uh, we come to you this morning, Lord, and, and Lord, we just thank you that, that you are the good, that you are the most ultimate Father, Lord, that we could ever ask for. And Lord, we thank you that you love us, that you're willing to go to any extreme to make sure that we're one with you. And Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we pray that we would hear your word this morning, Lord, and that you would just speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, when uh, Gina was playing her uh, video today, I didn't cry. I'm not a crier, I guess. But uh, I started thinking about, you know, how special uh, a father's love is. You know, it's, it's different than, than mom's love, right? It's, it's got some different aspects to it. You know, if I slipped and fell whenever I was a little kid and hurt my elbow, you know, the mom comes and picks you up and, you know, cleans it and puts a Band-Aid on it. And, you know, dad walks up and smacks it and rubs some dirt on it and says, get up, you big baby. And, uh, you know, it, they got some different aspects to their love, right? Sometimes uh, a father's love is a little tougher than a mother's love. But it's all in good character building, right? And uh, so the way in which a father loves is, is very different than, than the way in which a mother loves. And they, they both have their own special place. And uh, that's why you can tell a big difference, like Gina was talking about, about the kids that are raised up with a father and a mother in the home. You can see which characteristics of, of love that they've received. And you know, <laughs> at least, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that, that a lot of fathers are, are the same in which they, they do things. But at least for me, if I was ever in a sticky situation and needed a, a quick rational decision, I always called dad and I didn't call mom. And I was thinking about this instance whenever I was with uh, Chad. We were uh, driving four-wheelers one day at his house. And, you know, like guys do, you know, we decided to race. And uh, I tried to cut a corner to beat him and ended up hitting a ditch. And uh, flipped the four-wheeler. And when I flipped over it, it hit me right in the chin. And I have a big scar underneath here. And I was bleeding different stuff. And we got the four-wheeler flipped back over. And whenever we were heading to the house, I, uh, I called my dad. And I'm pretty sure that he left and didn't even tell my mom what had, what had happened. I'm not sure if he did or not. But uh, he got there and picked me up. And, you know, whenever we were going home, told my mom what was going on. And uh, I don't know what I got yelled at more for, if it was racing the four-wheelers or not calling her instead of my dad. Um, either one. But, you know, it, it's just interesting to me the way in, uh, in which a, a father loves. And, you know, I know... Like my dad, you know, there's, there's not anything in the world that he wouldn't do to make sure that I have everything that I need, you know. And, and uh, I got to thinking whenever I was a kid, I remember, uh, I remember there being certain kids in my class who would always brag about, you know, well, my parents, you know, they let me do whatever I want. And I was thinking, you know, that'd be pretty nice to have, you know, parents who just let you do whatever you want. Um, but, you know, now looking back on it, the kids that, had the parents like that, they're running around doing the Lord knows what. And, you know, the, the people who had the discipline growing up are, are the ones who are solid and, and have morals and character and, and different stuff like that. So it's interesting to see uh, that comparison. And, and I started thinking about, you know, if, if my earthly father could make sure that I had everything that I needed, always there in my time of need, how much more does my heavenly father love me and that he's always there for me and will give me everything that I need and no matter what situation that I'm in, you know, and, and not only is it a, a, a father's day for, 
for us, but to me, it's just as much about my heavenly father as it is my earthly father. Because no matter what, you know, our, our heavenly father has to be our, our main focus and priority. But how much more does he love us and want good things for us? And uh, so I got to thinking, and God was willing to give his one and only son that we could all have that relationship with him and be grown close to him again. And I started looking through uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You know, Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, and he lays out a lot of different commands. Like, for instance, you know, he says that, that we're the salt and the light, and then he talks about anger, he talks about lust, he talks about divorce, he talks about revenge, loving enemies, giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, money, uh, the golden rule, and, I mean, just goes on and on and on. He lays out all these things. And I started thinking about, you know, in all of my life, there were some times before I really got a hold of who the Lord was that I made some really good pushes for the Lord. Like for a solid two months, I would really, you know, pursue him and give everything to him. And then after those two months, I would find myself right back in the same position that I was in before. And I know that I'm not the only one because I've seen a ton of people do the exact same thing. We get on fire for the Lord for a little while, but then we fall back into the life that we were living. And the thing is, is that Jesus gives us these commands and these principles, not, not for us to, uh, to be miserable and to not live life the way we wanted to, but he gives them to us so that we can succeed and that we can be prosperous and that we can have everything that we need in life. And, you know, it's just like whenever you're a kid and, you know, my dad comes and disciplines me for doing something stupid, which happened often, Right? And, uh, you know, he comes and disciplines you for doing something stupid. It's not because he hates me or that he doesn't love me, but it's because he does love me that he tells me, hey, you're, you're out of order. And it's the same thing that, that Jesus gives us all these commands is because he loves us and he wants us to get our life in order so that we can be successful and that we can be prosperous and that we can have everything that we need. You know, I'm not giving you a prosperity gospel today, but, but Jesus wants you to succeed. He wants you to be prosperous. And so all of these things that he's, he's talking about and give us these commands, it, it's not because he hates us or, or that he doesn't love us. It's, it's because he does love you and that he wants you to have the best and fulfilling and satisfying life that you can live. But I got to thinking about why is it that we can make that push for, you know, a month? I can get my heart right with the Lord for a month, but then after that I tend to fall right back into the same life that I was in before. And I really feel like the Lord told me something. And anytime someone gets in front of you and says, hey, the Lord told me this, what should you do? Test it. That's right. You should check it with the word. Make sure that it lines up. So what I'm going to tell you today, I would encourage you to check out, read it in the word and see, and see what your own interpretation of this is. But I feel like what the Lord told me, why we keep making this push and then we fall right back into our own life. And he told me to tell his people to get out of bed with Jezebel. Now, I've told this, this is the fourth church that I would have told this at now. And I feel like it's because he told me, you tell all my people that they need to do this. And, and we're going to get into why it is that, that this makes sense. But let's go ahead and, uh, and turn to a passage of scripture. Because honestly, I, I really hadn't studied Jezebel much. And so I really had to dig in to figure out exactly what this means. But if you want to go to 1 Kings 19, I'll tell you a story. The last time that I was here with you guys... I, uh, I had talked about, you know, there was all these prophets of Baal, and nobody was worshiping the Lord, and, 
and Elijah was, was the only prophet left, and, and he had prayed that, that the rain would stop and that they would have this. Uh, he finally went to these prophets of Baal who were worshiping this false god and said, hey, you know what? It's time for us to make a decision. Let's just clear this up right now. Whose God is real? And so they're going to have this little contest, right? They get the sacrifice. They each get their own. And the prophets of Baal, uh, or whoever's God is real, fire will light the sacrifice and it be burned up and yada, yada, yada. So they have this little contest. They get everything set up. And the prophets of Baal are supposed to go first. And they prayed and they sung all afternoon and cut themselves and had blood all over their sacrifice and all this different stuff all afternoon. And, uh, you know, Elijah ends up laughing at him and making jokes to him and all this different stuff like, oh, you know, is your God taking a nap? You know, why isn't he answering you? Yada, yada, yada. And finally he says, enough. Okay. It's time for the evening sacrifice. And so he gets down on his knees and, and has the prophets of Baal throw water over his sacrifice so it's completely drenched. And he prays to God and says, God, just show these people that you are who you say that you are. And this fire comes down and lights his sacrifice. And all of the people fall down on their knees and say, surely this is the one true God. We had just talked about this before I left. And uh, I realized that in that passage of scripture, King Ahab was one, known as one of the worst uh, kings in Israel, right? He was there. So he was one of the people who fell down on his knees and said, surely this is the one true God. And if you're looking just before chapter 19, you see where the rain finally came and it fell. And uh, King Ahab went home to his wife. He had just seen this mighty move of God. He had just confessed with his mouth that this is truly the one true God. He had just fallen down on his knees and he gets home to his wife and he tells her everything that had happened and she just gets furious. She gets angry um, and, and it, what she ends up doing is she ends up writing a letter to Elijah that by the morning's time that she would kill him. So he had just seen this mighty work of God, and then now his, his wife is doing things and all this stuff. And, and let's just be clear. I'm not telling you that your wife is Jezebel today, okay? Let's clear that up right out of the get-go, okay? That's not what I'm saying, or it's going to all make sense here in just a second. But if you go to 1 Kings 21, is where I actually want to read the passage of Scripture to you. But this is another circumstance, just two chapters later, where his wife again does something again. So he... King Ahab wanted to buy a vineyard. And the guy named Naboth wouldn't sell him his vineyard. And uh, so King Ahab was, was angry about it, obviously. And so we're going to start on 1 Kings 21.4. And it says, So Ahab went home angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer, because he wouldn't sell him the vineyard. The king went, went to bed with his face against the wall and refused to eat. What's the matter, his wife Jezebel asked. What's made you so upset that you're not eating? I asked Naboth to sell me his vineyard or trade it, but he refused, Ahab told her. Are you the king of Israel or not, she demanded. Get up and eat something and don't worry about it. I'll get you Naboth's vineyard. So she wrote letters to Ahab in Ahab's name, sealed it with his seal, and sent it to the elders of the other leaders of the town where Naboth lived. In his letters, she commanded, call all the citizens together for fasting and prayer and give Naboth a place of honor and then seat two scoundrels across from him who will accuse him of cursing God and the king then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and other and the other town leaders followed the instructions Jezebel had written in the letter. They called for a fasting and put Naboth at a prominent place before the people. Then the two scoundrels came and sat across from him, and they accused Naboth before all the people, saying, He cursed God and the king. So he was dragged outside of the town and stoned to death. 
The town's leaders then sent word to Jezebel that both has been stoned to death. When Jezebel heard the news, she said to Ahab, You know the, the vineyard that both wouldn't sell you? Well, you can have it now. He's dead. So Ahab immediately went down uh, to the vineyard of Naboth to claim it. So it's pretty interesting. Ahab was going to do the right thing. And again, his wife was working things in the background that was making sure that he had every piece of idolatry that he wanted. Everything that he was putting before his relationship with God, she made sure that he had it. Right? And... uh so it's interesting to think about, but I feel like that we all have, uh, my, myself included, I ha- really had to think about this, but we all have a, a piece of a Jezebel in our life. Because think about it, every time we had a mighty move of God, right? We got on fire for the Lord for just a month. There was always things in our life that were working in the background, lingering, trying to pull us back away from our relationship with God. That's the only reason that we could have charged and then fallen charge and then fallen and and it just continues to go back and forth now i don't know exactly uh what your jezebel is but i know like there's people who uh, have been set free from drug addiction right someone told me the other day if they touch drugs one more time that they're convinced that they would be right back in the old life that they were in you know, there's people who really struggle with addictions to alcohol or different stuff like that. And if they, taste, they said if they tasted it one more time, that they'd be right back in the life they were in. You know, there's some people who are, are all addicted to different things. You know, there could be someone who's addicted to pornography. And if they saw one provocative image on Facebook, they'd be right back into the old life that they were in. And these things, they're, they're always there and they're lingering in our life and they never were meant to be. But I don't know exactly what your Jezebel might be, but I started thinking about something the other day, and the Lord showed me, and it kind of made sense. So there's this thing, uh, not in the early church, but somewhere in the middle there, where there was this term called penance. And if you had uh, committed a sin or done something wrong, you could just pay a sum of money and that your sins would be forgiven. And I thought, you know, how dumb were these people? Like, where, where did they see that written in the Bible, and, and why did they think that a sum of money would ever forgive them of their sin? But I got to thinking about it, and I thought, you know, the American church would love this. Because if they could just pay $100 or $1,000 or whatever it is, and they could pay that sum of money, and the, uh, the sin that they commit could just be washed away, and they, wouldn't have to, and they could keep doing it all they want to, all they had to do was just pay $1,000 or whatever it is, they would love that. And so maybe for you, for me, that was an easy way to tell what, what my Jezebel was. Think about something and just be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell anybody. But if you could pay a sum of money and have a sin forgiven and you could do it for the rest of your life and it wouldn't, it wouldn't affect your relationship with God, wouldn't affect your relationship with your family, any of that kind of stuff, you could just pay a sum of money and you could do it all you want to, what would that be? And most likely, that's probably the thing that's lingering in your life just ready to take you away from your relationship with God. So I don't... I don't know what your deal is, um, you know, over the, my relationship with the Lord. I've had to deal with several things that I felt like were uh, trying to pull me away from God. But the thing is, is that these things, whenever they're lingering, they're just waiting for just the right opportunity. You know, it, it presents itself in a way that no one will know, no one will see it, uh, yada, 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 yada. And that one time that you bite, it owns you again. 
And I got to thinking about this example. Whenever the people of Israel were set free uh, from Egypt, you know, they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, right? And they went to the other side, and then the sea crashed, and everybody who was chasing them was killed underneath the sea. So they're completely separated from their old life. But I feel like, you know, we will try to swim back across the ocean to get back to the other side and then swim back and forth and back and forth whenever Jesus made a way. And it wasn't to make a way for us so that we could still have some kind of attachment to it. It was to make a way so that these things are no longer a part of us. But so often they come back in and and we get set free from something and then a few months down the road it presents itself in just the right way and we pick it again. But it wasn't ever meant to be that way. And you know, it can, be, uh, it can be culture. It can be unforgiveness. It can be who, who even knows. But the thing is, is like with culture, whenever we went to Liberia, we did a medical clinic, and I think there was 300-something people that went through it in two days, something like that. Taylor, is that right? Huh? 400? And 60-something uh, of them had malaria. Um, and a huge, a huge percentage of them percentage of them had STDs. So maybe their deal is uh, sexual immorality. You know, it certainly is in our culture. There's different things uh, that we feel uh, pressured uh, to do or, or things that have come into our life that present themselves in the wrong way. And whenever, even whenever no one's paying attention, you know, we bite. Or it may not even be something that we're actively doing, but it's something that's still lingering in our life that we might bite on if it presents itself in the right way. And to me, that was, that was the Jezebel, right? And so I want you to go somewhere with me. Go to uh, Romans chapter 8. And I was going to read a small portion of this uh, chapter, but I can't read it without reading most of the deal. So we're just going to start on Romans 8.1. And it says this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And condemnation is that... Uh, for me, is that, you know, that unworthy feeling, that feeling of uh, that we're not adequate, that we can't do it, or whatever it is. You feel horrible and you feel bad because of the stuff you've done. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like our bodies. We have a sinner's. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us uh, his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by sinful nature think about sinful things. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting your sin or letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God, and never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature; you are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of God of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And if Christ lives within you, So even through your body, you will die because of sin. The Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. 
And the Spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit life within you. Verse 12. I want you to pay attention to this. If you haven't read or listened to anything else I've said this entire time, I just want you to hear this one scripture. Verse 12. It says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. If you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For those, for the, sorry, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For me, that was one of the most freeing passages of Scripture I've ever read in my life. Because, you know, I think a lot of times we feel we feel like we have to do those things. You know, they, those things were that our Jezebel was, was a part of our life for so long, it makes it really difficult to get away from. Whatever your deal is, you know, some of it was like whenever I was first getting my life right with the Lord, some of it was the friends that I lived or I, I hung out with. You know, I felt like any time they came up to me and asked me to do something that was part of my old life, I felt obligated to do it. You know, I feel like I have to do that. In your culture, maybe there's something in, in our culture that, that causes you to stumble, and you can feel like you're obligated to do that. And maybe it's just this translation, I don't know. But the way that that's phrased, that I am not obligated to do anything other than what Christ calls me to do. Now, sometimes not obligated can have a bad context to it, right? You could have that employee at work, and anytime you ask him to do something, that's maybe outside of their job description, they could say, you know, I'm not obligated to do that. It's not my job description. You know what I mean? But that's, but that's not how it is. It's, I'm not obligated to do anything other than what Christ calls me to do, not because I have to or not because I have a certain job description, but because I don't want to any longer because I want to have a closer and better relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not because I have to, but it's because I get to and I've had the opportunity to grow closer to him. And the, that penance thing that I was talking about, you might say, well, well, even if I could do that, why would that be a problem if it didn't affect my relationship with God? And the thing is, is that he gives every single command for your benefit. And he gives every command so that you can better reflect his character to everyone that you see. And so to say, I want part of God, but not the other part, is like saying that you don't want him at all. It's kind of a, a take it or leave it deal, you know what I mean? And uh, whenever we start talking about something like this, I still remember the, the tongue and interpretation from, I don't even know how many months ago, I think it was like two months ago, but at the very end of it it said, God's desiring more of you, probably more than you're even willing to give. And the thing is, is that we all have these, these uh, Jezebels for an example, and we're not willing to give them up because we still want to have a part of them in our life. And this scripture saying that you're not obligated anymore to follow your sinful nature, what that's telling you is that you have a choice. You're not obligated to do any of the stuff that's causing you to pull away from God. It's 110% your choice now. You've been set free. If you want to try to swim back across the ocean, that's completely up to you but you're not obligated to do so. You can turn and walk towards the promised land or you can turn back and you can swim back across the ocean and do it again and again and again and again. 
but I'm telling you that none of us are Michael Phelps, and we can't all do that. Does that make sense? And I'm convinced of one thing, and it's that we cannot be the church uh, that Christ has called us to be here in Oakton, Missouri, population 36, if we're still feeling like we're obligated to do all these other things. The only thing that we're obligated to do is to follow Christ. And I'll tell you that sometimes your imagination can be the greatest thing that will pull you away from God. You know, if you are thinking about something in your mind and it's not of God and you sit there and you dwell on it for just even a second, it just gives an opportunity for the enemy to get a foothold to grab just a little tighter and a little tighter and a little tighter until you end up in a place that you never even meant to be. But it was just because of one thought that you had in your mind that you dwelled on for a little too long and you just let it linger in your life. And if you let your imagination run wild, whatever that Jezebel is that's lingering in the background, working things, trying to present itself to you, it'll take you. And it probably already has got a grip on you. But that key in that scripture that we read in Romans was that you have to set your mind on what pleases the Spirit. If it's set in your mind, then it never has an opportunity to get into your imagination what you keep dwelling on the things that have bound you your entire life. And you know, sometimes it's, uh, it's easy to get discouraged whenever we don't see things moving and growing the way uh, that we want them to. And uh, so sometimes we'll say, well, you know, Oakton's not really in a season of revival right now, so it'd be okay if I uh, wavered here and there uh, when it comes to Jesus' commands, it doesn't really matter too much if I'm uh, really giving my whole life to the Lord. I mean, you may not see things growing as fast as you want to, but what I feel like the Lord's telling us is that we need to take heart because he said that he'd be with us to the end of the age. But who he's coming back for is a church that's 100% set apart for him. He's coming back for a people who love him unwaveringly. It's not about just doing a few commands here or there or doing a couple of good things in life. It says, you know, that the road that leads to heaven is a straight and it's a narrow path, but wide is the gate that leads to destruction. You know, if we let our mind get off of the things that please the Spirit, we're going to end up in a place that we never even meant to be. And it just starts by something so small. But I'm telling you is that the enemy is, is walking around lingering, waiting for his opportunity to present you to something that you'll bite on. And he wants you to bite on it because that's what's going to be the thing that brings you right back into the old life that you ran in. You're going to start from the very beginning again. But the great glorious thing is, is that we have a father who, who told us everything that we needed to know. He gave us every opportunity. He gave us every spiritual blessing. He gave us every piece of equipment that we need to su- succeed and prosper in this life. But the thing is, is that we have to keep our mind We have to keep our eyes, we have to keep our walk completely fixed on him. And whenever we begin to waver, that's whenever the Lord's going to have to come in and and do some uh, fatherly spanking, you know what I mean? I had to have it growing up, and in my walk with Christ, I've had to have the same thing. And I want you to carry this thought, because I feel like, I feel that a lot of people feel this way, and it's that, you know, you have to be uh, a John Bevere. You have to be uh, a Chip Ingram. You have to be uh, a Billy Graham to make a difference in this world. What I'm telling you is, is that God didn't go and call these people who were up on, up on stage and TVs and actors and stuff like that to be the, 
his disciples, he went out and got the fishermen. He went out and got the everyday, ordinary people. And those are the people who made the biggest change and the biggest impact in this world. And what I'm telling you is, is that he is calling you to be the change in this world. We pray all the time for revival. We pray all the time for our country to get right. We pray all the time for these things to happen, but it's like that we pray for them to happen, that they'll just fall out of the sky and just come easy. But the thing is, is that you are the everyday change. But you have to live your life in a way that's according to the principles and according to the commands that Jesus is calling you to live to be the change that he wants you to be. And it's not a very a very popular thing to talk about. But I'm telling you, if you think that your earthly father made an impact on you, good or bad, right? How much more can your heavenly father bless you and walk with you in this life? And he wants nothing but the best for you. But we have to live our life in a way that is following and pursuing him and reflecting his character. Does that make sense? And we have to be free from the fact that we're not obligated to do these sinful things anymore. That we're free to be free if we want to be. But it's a complete choice for you. So if the praise team wants to come up, I want to leave you with a couple thoughts. I guess the first thought is, you know, do you have some do you have some Jezebels that you need to get out of your life? And I'm telling you, even if you think that you have one, get rid of it. Throw it away. Because it's going to try to bring you to a life that you don't want to live. And if you do have one of those things, I'd encourage you to come up here and pray about it. No one's going to judge you. We all have things in our life. But if you let those things start to get a grip, start to get a foothold in your life, it's going to take you down a path you don't want to go. The second thing is, is that, you know, are we still investing in people? Because this, this life that we're being called to isn't just for us. This prosperity, this, this blessing, this success that God's calling us to isn't just for us. It's also for, for every other person in this world. But unluckily for them, they haven't got to hear the gospel that I got to hear. And it's 100% up to us to share that and to provide that opportunity for someone else to be able to have and know their Heavenly Father. And I guess the, uh, the, third thing, the third thing is this. If you think about all the pro athletes and that kind of stuff, those guys are, those guys are crazy, right? They work out harder. They, they push harder. They try to get better harder than, than any other athlete in the world. That's why America has some of the greatest athletes in the world because they literally unwaveringly commit and push and try to grow to be the best that they can possibly be listening to everything they can do maybe just to get just a little bit better but do we carry that same mentality whenever it comes uh, to our relationship with God you know do we read the word thinking maybe this one scripture will just set me free uh, from this maybe this one scripture will be the thing that I can share with someone today that will set them free from the things they've had wrong in their life is this one this one song one that I can worship God in just because he's worthy you know, we don't, we don't look for the same opportunity as them. What I want to encourage you with today is to seek the Lord above everything else, not because you have to, but because you get to know your Heavenly Father. You know, some of us have had great earthly fathers, and some of us have had 
terrible earthly fathers. But I'm telling you is that you get to know a father today who loves you unwaveringly and loves you and wants to give you and bless you more than anything you could ever understand in this life. And you have the opportunity to know him today. But are we pushing and trying to know him back? Are we turning our back on our Heavenly Father?